Hello, and again, welcome to BitDepth. I'm Santiago Ramones. Across from me with the power of the internet is... Hey everybody, I'm Paris Life, straight out of Seattle, Washington. Heck yeah. Uh, so who are you? What do you do? So Santiago, I am uh, really a, a, a man that wears a lot of hats. So mm-hmm. uh, my day job is some government level security that I can't really talk about. Um, but <laughs> the stuff <I'm, laughs> you know, but the, uh, what I'm passionate about and what I do when I'm not working is music and entertainment. And so um, I found myself um, managing other artists and media creators, but I also create my own art and uh, my own music and things. And um, I rap, I produce, and music specifically has been something I've been super passionate about. But as I as I work more with other creators and get into other things like myself having to get behind cameras and shoot films, um, directing, um, the whole media entertainment is something I'm falling more and more in love with um, and all the facets and all of the different personality types and, and the hustle and everything that comes with it. So I guess you could say, I am a maker of media and somebody that manages that process for myself and and for others as well. Yeah. So when did you first get started in music or being involved in music or realizing that you had a passion for music? Man, um, I would say elementary school, elementary school. um, Yeah. (laughs) That's when, uh, I remember like I was uh, in fifth grade and I had um, some wrote some poetry. I had to write some poetry um, for my class. And then when I wrote that poem, I was super shy. Um, and uh, <laughs> in Santiago, man, uh, <laughs> I'll never forget. Like, I did not want to say this poem in front of, the, of everybody. I was like, uh, I got to say this, what? And then everybody was like, bro, when you read it, it sounds really dope. Like, you, and I, I even tried, I went so far as to try to have my friend read it for me and just say, and just tell everybody I wrote it. And then I read it for me, like, no, dude, like, when you do it, it sounds really filthy. It sounds really dope. Like, you have to do it. Um, and so I ended up reading it in front of the class. I got a lot of love for it. And then I was like, man, you know what? This is kind of cool. So that's how I kind of got into rapping. And um, and then when I was 15, I had to learn, man, how to make my own beats because, frankly, uh, I didn't have anybody to make beats for me. So... Uh, my grandfather, uh, God rest his soul, um, got me Fruity Loops, uh, the producer edition. And I started making beats on that. And then over the years, it's all changed. But um, that's how I got into it. And then high school, crazy, crazy run with music. Ended up um, going to the White House um, back when Obama was in office. And we can talk about that uh, later, too. But um had a crazy run, took a break. And in 2016, kind of got back into it. So that's that's how my musical journey kind of got started. Yeah. How 
or I guess, what were the initial influences whenever you were first starting in music? What were you listening to then? And then what are you listening to now that really inspires you? Oh, man. Uh, so Snoop Dogg, for sure. Snoop Dogg was huge. Um, Eminem was super huge. Outkast. Those were some influences that were really big. Um, Buster Rhymes, kind of. Um, Kanye West, Twister. Uh, honestly, too, because my mom um, would have me listen to R&B before I started to get my own CDs and stuff. Uh, TLC, Tony Braxton, Missy Elliott, Aaliyah, Timbaland. Uh, a lot of huge influences on me. Um, and then, but then now, oh my gosh, it, it's so many. Um, I like, I still like the old stuff, but then um, I really, I, I kind of try to listen to the new stuff too. So I kind of like some Gucci man, uh, even though he doesn't make as much music now. Um, I try to kind of keep a pulse on what the kids are listening to. So Lil Mosey, another guy from Seattle who's doing crazy right now. Um, and then beyond him, um, there's, there's a couple hit, you know, it's, a, it's another flashback, N-E-R-D. I still listen to some of their mm -hmm. stuff, even though their music's kind of old now. Um, and then, yeah, nowadays, I was listening to Tory Lanez a lot, and then he had that huge controversy. And so hmm. I hate to be swayed, but, but you know, uh, and, and I guess until things are cleared up, I'll, I don't know how comfortable I feel continuing to listen to his stuff. But um, but he was a he, he was dope. And then Chris Brown. So I could go on and on, but those are some <laughs> who I've been listening to, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I guess who... Who would you say are some influences on your production? Because it's, it's one thing mm. listening to artists and stuff and kind of seeing how they write and stuff. But then it's another thing how the production and the sound sort of shapes what you're making. So I guess who are your sort of top producers that you look up to? Oh, wow. That's a good question. Uh, Dr. Dre. That's number one for sure. I love that guy's whole style. Uh, Timberland as well. Um, crazy, crazy with it. Um, and then Pharrell for sure. Those are probably my top three. Kanye. Um, and then uh, some of the newer guys. I'll give an honorable mention to Scott Storch for an older dude. Um, London on the track is a newer guy who's just crazy. It's super duper crazy. Hmm. Um, you know, uh, da, 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 da. he's super dope. There's a couple other super new dudes. I want to say foreign tech is, is foreign tech is is pretty crazy. Uh, but London on the track, I would say, is for sure one of my top producers right now, who's still popping. Um, there's a lot of guys. Boy Wonder um, is super crazy. But I, I, as far as who influences my production right now. First thing that come to my head um, for a modern guy is definitely London. London on the track for sure. Yeah, I gotta check his stuff out then. So, I guess. Uh, well, for one, where did you grow up, and uh, have you always been in Seattle? Oh yeah, um, yeah. I've always been in like the greater 
Seattle area. Uh, hmm. So I was born in the middle of Seattle and Capitol Hill. And then um, after that, I've been all over like the West, West Seattle, Berrien, which is a little south of Seattle, just by the airport. Um, now I live in Everett, which is a good little bit north of Seattle, um, shoreline. So yeah, pretty much Seattle my whole life. Heck yeah. What do you think <laughs> separates the Seattle music scene from kind of other places? Have you been to other places and kind of seen how the scene is? Uh, and what do you think makes Seattle unique? I would say it is two main things. So stylistically, um, we have that grunge factor for sure. Um, a lot of really unique kind of like weird styles is for sure. Like, um, like a big, big thing here. Um, cause even like I have friends who are super out there, like their rap style is just unexplainable and, but it's dope. And they actually are also, um, having a lot of success, but then too, um, even the guys who do the more conventional rap, like they, even if they sound like, like there's a guy here, Nacho Picasso, he sounds a lot like Lil Wayne. Uh, I think he's better than Lil Wayne personally, um, mm. as far as just how raw he is, how nasty his flow is, but he's super weird. And so he'll rap about what the other rappers in the industry will kind of rap about, but the way he does it is just super um, crazy. And then uh, I would say even more so to Lil Wayne, because I know Lil Wayne talks a lot about being influenced by like rock and roll, but guys like Nacho Picasso, there's like a lot of heavy um, rock influence there. Um, and so even myself, like, you know, I, I enjoy some Nirvana. I enjoy, you know, a lot of different kinds of genres too, um, other than, you know, R&B, hip hop. Um, and so we get a lot of grunge and you get a little bit of rock influence. It's a big melting pot too, just culturally. And so we got like a huge um, Asian American population, a lot of um, immigrants who came over here and now their children are doing their things, hustling, picking up that work ethic. Um, some of those uh, folks got into music and they're killing it, um, you know, slowly but surely. Um, you know, huge Latin population, huge uh, you got Middle Eastern population, folks from India, pretty much everything you could think of. So the melting pot, it's just really cool. And there's just so many different influences. Um, but that's that's stylistically. It's just that melting pot and that grunge kind of put together gets you really unique sounds. But then, too, I would say um, uh, culturally, when I say culturally, I mean hip-hop culture-wise, uh, collaboration um, is not... It, 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 and I say this for the caveat, it's changing now, but historically, until I think very recently... Um, there was not a lot of collaboration. And uh, I'm trying not to uh, make anyone in Seattle feel bad, but uh, the talk was, hey, people in Seattle don't work with each other. You know, they they always kind of look at what the other person is doing and they're jealous if they see the other person succeeding or what have you. And 
you know, everybody likes to be in cliques and things like that. So I would say, especially during the 2000s and even the early 2010s, that was kind of the trend. So a lot of people from Seattle would just leave Seattle. They would go to L.A. or New York or maybe Atlanta and just have, try to do other things. Um, but then I would say last few years, I've seen it really change where everybody in Seattle seems to be trying to work together a lot more. And with places that you've probably um, become familiar with the California situation where it seems like the prices for everything are just going crazy, you know, and a lot of people moving out. Um, so with that happening and at the same time, is that even before I heard of that trend or that situation, like um, Seattle is becoming like a small Hollywood where there's a lot of entertainment here. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a cool place to kind of get into where it's not so, uh, the expectations, I guess, aren't as high. And I don't say that in a way where it's like, oh, we, we can't accomplish the same thing. It's just more like, you go to Hollywood, it's like, you really feel like I, ha- I have to make it now. Or you go to, maybe even if you go to New York, um, I have to make it now. Maybe even like Nashville for certain folks. Um, and Seattle is really cool because you can, you can, you can, you can do big things here, but then also there's a lot of resources where you can really live a comfortable life and not have to, uh, you can, you, everybody has to hustle, right? But, uh, there's a lot of resources here. So a lot of people move here from other places, start a good life. And so I would say the pressure is not as high out here, uh, but you can still get something really crazy going. And so that's been a huge um, shift I've seen in the past couple of years um, where now I feel comfortable being here as opposed to for like a long time, I was like, hey, I might have to go to LA. I might have to go to LA. I might have to move. Now I'm like, okay. We can get it done here. Um, I'm always I'm open to new things too. Like if an opportunity comes where it's like, okay, we need to go to Tokyo or something, cool. But um, I, I I have a situation personally where I think Seattle can work for me, um, and I've seen it work for some other folks too. Heck yeah. So, I mean, you had mentioned going to the White House, and I can't just let that story fly right by. So, you got to tell me that story. (laughs) Yeah, 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 absolutely. Uh, So, yeah, um, man, Santiago. So, at the White House, okay, it was 2010, and we had just um, started this small label in 2009. um, It was with... uh, Youngstown Cultural Arts Center, which is a community center. And then what they did is they brought um, my my mentor still, uh, Amos Miller, they brought him uh, to Youngstown and they said, hey, we want to start uh, a youth run record label slash youth oriented record label. He was like, he said, no problem. I got you. Let's see what we can do. So then he comes in and he knew my uncle and stuff. God rest my uncle. So too. Uh, and so he knew my uncle. And he just is a super respected figure in the hip hop scene, in R and B scene in Seattle. So uh, myself, uh, I ended up—I <laughs> I, I have to laugh—I uh, I ended up uh, dating two of the girls that were in the band, but 
you know, we're, we're all good friends now. It's just, I can look back now and laugh. We're all, we're all really cool with each other now. But back then it was like, oh my gosh. But uh, uh, my friend, uh, Vivi and Megan, and then uh, who else? Uh, Rob um, and his brother, Andrew. And then my friend, Max, my friend, Kitsini. Uh, and then we had a Kevin uh, uh, was like one of the mentors. And so um, it was crazy, man. Santiago, it was like, it was super crazy. We had to go um, on this on this week trip to DC. Um, now, how that came about was we put together an album, and then we also curated a museum exhibit at the Fry Art Museum in Seattle, and um, that was a process in itself where I'm working like a doctor between college and high school. Like this is like my senior year of high school. Um, I'm like doing, I'm working, I'm doing an after school group and I'm doing this music stuff. So I'm working like 12 hours, 14 hours a day, um, maybe more. And then you got all that done, did the exhibition, um, um, finally did the unveiling of the project. And so um, we had a huge performance where it's showing the public, okay, here's our exhibit and to kick it off, we're gonna perform too. So we get in, we do the performance and like a lot of people came from all over the city, different, especially different uh, organizations um, that were supporting youth, different organizations that were um, supporting the arts and everything. And so they came, saw the performance. We absolutely crushed it. It was phenomenal. And then Barack Obama at that time sent out tickets around the country to different organizations that had youth. And he was like, hey, I'm looking for some youth that can, uh, that are making an impact right now. And I want to invite them to our celebration of civil rights that we're having at the White House. So he sent them to the EMP, um, which was Paul Allen's, um, RIP to him, uh, Paul Allen's, um, back then, now it's called the Museum of Pop Culture or MOPOP, but the EMP was the Experience Music Project, and it was a museum dedicated to um, music that came from Seattle and came associated with music um, of Seattle, especially with rock and roll and things. And so back then, luck, not, unlucky for them, but luckily for us, uh, EMP got those tickets, but EMP did not have any youth programs back then. And so they had the tickets, they're holding them, and they're like, hmm, we don't have any kids, but we know some dope kids. We just saw some at this museum a few days ago. So they reached out to us, they gave us the tickets, and then we hopped on that plane and uh, it was crazy because I was like in the middle of, of, I was doing community college. And so I just ended up disappearing for like that week. And then I had, uh, I had to get surgery the week before. So I was just technically out for two weeks of college. I didn't even tell my teacher like, <laughs> like oh yeah, I'm just, uh, da, 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 da. just boom, was bounced. And then uh, freaking, uh, it, it was crazy, man. And then that's actually when they had that huge blizzard uh, that's why we ended up being out there for a week. They had that huge blizzard. This is 2010. Mm -hmm. So um, 
we got out there, man, and it was crazy. Like, we finally got to, like, the priest ceremony. So Smokey Robinson came out. We were just talking to all of us. We had kids. We were from Washington, obviously. There's kids from Cleveland, New York, uh, Oakland, um, and a couple other places. And if they, if they see me, shout out to y'all. If we call, call it uh, 21010 because it was February 10th of 2010. And that's when we all really struck this like nationwide bond. We we're like, yo, we're going to be like friends for life. Yeah, um, we like, really inspired each other. Um, and build these really beautiful relationships in the middle of that blizzard. But um, going actually into the White House, again, we had that Smokey Robinson introduction thing where he's like, hey, guys, this is what you guys need to do if you want to be successful in life. And then uh, we get that super dope. And then um, we go to the to the, to the the party itself. Um, Morgan Freeman was the host. And then uh, before he came out, Barack Obama was like just talking and it was, it was crazy man Santiago because I I didn't feel like uh what's the word intimidated or like nervous seeing Barack I was really inspired though I was like yes this is cool um but then when Morgan Freeman came out I started freaking out I'm like oh my gosh it's Morgan <laughs> Freeman like yo this is like the dude who played God and freaking uh uh Bruce Almighty you know and then um Bob Dylan played, uh, Jennifer Hudson sang, uh, Yolanda Adams, gospel singer, she came out, Ricky Minor, big band guy from, uh, he, he does a lot of the award shows, he plays music for a lot of, he, he, he directs the bands for a lot of award shows, um, a lot of his, man, but I, I met some of them. Like behind the look, behind stage and stuff. So Barack came, shook all of our hands. It was like, it's, it's good for me. I'm like, oh man. Actually, I met Joe Biden too that same day. Uh, and um, just for like a hot second, just shook his hand. Like, hey, thank you for what you're doing. You know, that's pretty much it. Um, you know, and then uh, I, I, I got to talk to Morgan Freeman for a second. And that was crazy because, like, I was just like <laughs> so starstruck. And, uh, <laughs> so I'm just like, Morgan Freeman. He said, "Hey, hey, what's going on?" And I just couldn't help myself. I was, I just yelled like, "I like your movies, man!" <laughs> he just he just kind of mimicked me. He's like, "Oh, thank you." <laughs> and, uh, he, he was super cool about it, you know. Um, it, it was a lot of fun, and um, it was it was a crazy experience, and that that really changed my life. And, and it showed me what's possible with a lot of hard work, you know. I feel like um, usually when people are doing what they're passionate about, a trip to the White House is usually the result of like a Super Bowl or an NBA championship. So I feel like that was kind of like our Super Bowl, our championship is doing what we were doing and and, and being the best that we what we were the best at uh, back then, you know. And so. Hoping that we can turn that, we could do that one more time. You know, uh, you know, I'm not trying to be political. I don't know how I feel about. I, I don't know if I go to the White House right this moment, but uh, it's me personally. You know, however anyone you know believes is, is cool. You know, I got friends who are Republicans too, uh, but maybe depending on what happens, we can go on another epic run here soon. So. <laughs> 
Yeah. Uh, I got to ask about uh, your management as well, because it's one thing being a musician and creating music and creating poetry and all that stuff. But then it's another thing to manage and look at the business side of music. And sometimes it can get a bit, you know, heady or numbers heavy or so what is what is the difference and how do you like doing management as compared to doing music oh yeah um well what's up tiago uh i got into management because initially actually when i was to shoreline um the associate's degree i got was uh, music merchandising um and then it was a um applicable to uh music technology is what they called it um so that's my associate degree is uh, music technology uh merchandising and that is designed specifically to obviously like merchandise like artists um turn them into a product but really help you understand what it's like to be a manager and so i got into that thinking okay maybe i can be my own manager so i don't have to hire something but where they ended up working and helping out some other situations. Um, so I guess I kind of saw it coming because you could kind of say um, it is different. It's definitely different. It's, it, it is a lot more heady. It's, it's, it's really communication. It's a lot of communication, um, you know, and um, it, 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 it can be, it's hard to put it all the way into words, but it can be heady for sure. It can be heady because you have to sit there and try to game plan something like almost like like football. <laughs> like, okay, this is what kind of situation we're working with. Da, 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 da. You know, this might happen. This might happen. So how do we prevent that? This bad thing from happening. How do we minimize our risk and stuff like that? Um, and so overall, because I know I'm helping my friends succeed, that part is really fun. Um, helping them get jobs or helping them get assignments, helping them get exposure, things like that. That's all super duper fun. Um, the only thing that can be a little bit rough at times is having to be the bad guy slash having to also be accountable. Because if I have an artist who's just not really a great communicator, um, then I have to do the communicating. So if he does something or she does something and it's kind of unacceptable or it just looks bad, um, I, I might be able to have that conversation with them and say, hey, you're, you know, you're, you're really not doing the right thing right now. But whoever we're working with at the time, I got to be the one to go to them and say, hey, I apologize for what happened. And then if they have any heat, I got to take the heat, you know. Uh, so that's the only that. And then. Um, the other times is where I got to tell the person like I'm, I'm hiring or the person uh, uh, um, that is a part of the team um, or temporarily on the team, whatever, whatever assignment project. Um, I got to basically tell that person that what they're doing is unacceptable or et cetera, whatever the case may be, having to communicate with people um, what's working, what's not working. And so sometimes that can get intense. Like if 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 I just feel like I I sent something, I text something, and um, the person was intentionally or maybe unintentionally. If I feel like there was disrespect, 
then I'm like, oh, it can get really, really intense. Um, I try not to make it too intense, but sometimes like your emotion will just come out a little bit. So as I get better at it, I'm able to kind of hold it in more and just keep it strictly just business, you know, but that that will come out, especially like um, a little bit earlier in the process, <laughs> like people trying to ask me questions where I just felt like, I felt like they were trying to get over, over, I guess, to an extent. Like one thing I had to learn uh, the hard way, this guy from Sony, like I won't say his name, but a guy from Sony reached out and then he said something, uh, long story short, about his term in business. I just learned this uh, recently, and, um, I, that it was a real thing. And it was basically a term in business called um, benefiting from the relationship. And so he was like, yeah, basically, if I come on with you guys, and let's say hypothetically, if I get you guys a contract with a festival and they pay you guys, you know, every single year to come out for that festival and that's guaranteed income. Um, if you're paying me for a percentage of that referral, I not only want that percentage of that one time business, but I want a percentage of all of the business you ever do with them for the lifetime of your of your contract with them. And so when he said that to me, I was like, what? <laughs> said, Man, yeah. We're not trying to do that, you know, but then I talked <laughs> to my mentor. Um and my mentor is far more experienced than me. Um shout out to Alex Kajumalov. Uh, he's one of my mentors, but he's the guy, he's the main guy I work with um, right now. And he was like, no, that's, that's a real thing. Like they, they, they can't, somebody can't ask for that if they, if, depending on the, on the agreement you have, but um, that, that is a, a, a term that comes up. So, you know, he has the right to ask for that. He's just, if we want to agree, cool. If it, if it's helpful for us, but if not, boom. But basically, man, the way that I just kind of described it, it's not how I. It's not how it sounded coming out of my mouth when I was talking to him. It was a. It was a lot more intense, and so I felt like a like a. Are we allowed to curse on here? Yeah, you can say whatever you want. Okay, okay. <laughs> you can say what you. Well, want. I can say. Okay, okay. I guess ain't a, a terrible word, but I felt like a huge douchebag, man. I felt like I was like, man, I just really went off on this guy, thinking that I knew that. I guess I felt like he was trying to scam us or get over on us, but in reality, he actually was trying to do good business and now making us look like we don't know what we're doing. So that's how that kind of felt at that moment. So sometimes, again, like you have to learn how to control those emotions and really keep them just um, keep everything really, really cool, calm, collected. Um, you know, you, you never want to come off as, you know, because nowadays, and I hate to go on a tangent, but the days of like the Damon Dashes, Diddy, you know, just yelling at people, being like, you know, the, the bad guy who um, can just go around and just yell at folks to get their way. I feel like it, we're not really in those days anymore. Maybe some people can do that, but generally, it seems like you do get more with Honey 
than with vinegar, um, especially with the artistic types. You know, some people just do bad business. You know, some people just do bad business and you're going to take losses. You know, some money is just going to just disappear. Um, just whether intentionally or unintentionally, you know, you, you can be like, okay, I'm going to pay you for this thing. And um, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But, you know, my, Alex told me a really, really, really good lesson. And he was like, man, you know what? If you ever lose a few hundred or whatever on like a little job you pay somebody to do to help you out, you know, whether it's for the merch store, whether it's for the camera work, whatever it might be, um, sometimes those people are going to run away with your money and you just got to be cool with it because what you don't want to do is try to go after somebody over a few hundred dollars or whatever, even a couple thousand really. Um, and then, you know, that they may assume that your intentions are really bad and they may try to act in a way that could really be a permanent solution to a temporary issue. So it's never worth it to try to go all the way after somebody over like a little bit of money, um, or, 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 or really go go too far and try to secure that. Uh, I mean, you can always get a lawyer involved if it's like a substantial amount for sure. But otherwise, that person does you a huge favor because if they are trying to run with your money, cool, just take the loss. They just told you that you should never work with them again. Just leave it. Um, you know, some people, a lot of folks, and he was saying this, and I think it's true, especially like in the black community, a lot of infighting about, oh, you know, this person owes me a couple hundred. I'm going to go, you know, find them or whatever and, and try to solve that problem. Um, and not even necessarily physically. You could just be like, I want to go and meet up with the person, et cetera. Um, but it's not just in the Black community. It could be like whatever skin color, you know, uh, this person that I hired for this job just did not get the thing done. I want to go talk to the person. They might think, even though I just really want to talk, they may assume that I'm coming to try to get physical or something like that, which I'm not ever. Um, and so because of that, it's just better to just let them just keep rolling. Like, hey, I, I know where you stand now. I know what kind of person I'm working with here. And I'm just not going to do business with them. If anybody asks me about this person, I'll just, I'll just be honest. That's all I can do. Um, I try not to talk bad about people, but I do try to be honest because um, I think there's a difference between gossiping and then conveying information that could be useful uh, so someone else doesn't hit a pitfall, et cetera. But anyway, so those are a whole bunch of the things I've experienced in management. Um, so it can be a grind, uh, but it, it, as, as much as all of that can be on your shoulders, it can also be super rewarding. Generally, you get the money first, which is kind of cool. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, you kind of disperse it and you kind of figure out what's fair and things like that. And you, you be transparent with people, too. But, uh, you know, generally, um, and even like in artist contracts and things, you know, the manager will typically get their percentage before the artist gets really anything. And that's just how it works. But um, so yeah, as much as... If you're a control freak, it's a really good place to be, um, you know. But uh, 
if you're uh it's not for the faint of heart it's not for the faint of heart and uh i get better and better every day but it, it definitely took me being really terrible and unprepared at first to get to a position where now i feel okay and now people um feel comfortable having me work on their projects for them and it's not just artist stuff it's also the big thing recently has been videos uh two music videos and so we did like a three-day shoot um in july was it july was it august it was july that was crazy so i'm managing that whole project uh it's called nature man collection um and then we just did a video uh two days ago uh for my friend sean prince and uh so both of those situations and even really like i don't know if you um saw like the videos i sent you but like all those all my videos that i'm in and then these other videos i'm mentioning I have full control of how those went. I'm like, okay, this is the talent we need. This is the director I want. This is what I want in the video, et cetera. Um, so overall, it is a grind, but it can be rewarding. And it's really cool when you see it all come together and everybody is um, talking about how good it went. And if there's money there too, it's even better. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Before we get to the super hard questions, yes. What advice do you have for people in that are trying to make their way in the music scene, whether it be production, whether it be as an artist, whether it be management? I would say try a bunch of things and see what you like the most. See what you like the most. Um, you know. And then and figure out what it takes to, uh, what are all the components, like really research all the components that it takes to really be successful. And, um, and once you know those components, try a bunch of them. Like you might figure out, you know, I'm 28 now, I'm just realizing that I like shooting videos and stuff. Like that's, that's really fun to me. I'm like, wow, I, I never would have known that. Um, and I, and I tried it, you know, uh, I didn't know that management was, I, I, I don't want to make it sound easy, but it's easier than I thought it was going to be. Uh, and so I would have never known that if I wouldn't have got into it. Um, even things like, um, like finding talent, but, um, yeah, I would say try a bunch of things and really like being inside of your head thinking about doing it is so much more unpleasant than actually just doing it. Whatever it might be. Uh, I think that's not just for music, but for life in general. Um, you know, the dread of, oh, I know I got to do this thing. I know I should. Uh, that whole emotion and that whole process is so much more debilitating than just actually doing the thing and putting yourself through it. Actually putting yourself through the thing it's never as bad as the process of thinking about doing the thing. So action um, will keep you out of the paralysis of analysis. Try a bunch of things, see what works, see what you're best at. Because you might be like, I want to be a rapper. I want to be a singer. And you try to sing, you, you might not have a voice like that, you know, especially like later in the, because like if you're younger, I think everybody can kind of sing when they're younger, at least a little bit. And so it's all about training your voice. Some people are just naturally gifted. Um, but either way, you have to keep singing. So if you're just getting in the game later in life, 
it might be a little tougher if your voice hasn't been exercised like that, if it hasn't been used a lot. Production, that's something I think anybody could kind of get into at any point. Um, it's just about studying it, doing it again and again. Try a bunch of things, see what you like. And then I would, I would pick one thing after that. Like, okay, what is the one thing you like the most? And then two, um, beyond that, I would assess what is, what is one of the things, too, that is the most profitable. What can make you money right now? And then, or if not right now, in the long term, you know, because some people might see that the absolute most profitable thing, maybe maybe making videos. That could be the quickest way to making however much money they want to make um, in a short amount of time. But it's an investment to be able to do that. And are you do you enjoy making videos? Because if it's just about money or anything, you can make money doing anything. So that's the other piece too. You can make money doing anything. So uh, if you want to be, I mean, again, making videos, if you can do good videos, there's really good money in it, even though it is kind of competitive. If you can do it good, um, then go for it. Because you can make money if you can do good videos. Um, and you got to have a good reputation. But you can make money doing anything. You can So because music is always risky, uh, another thing Alex always tells me is, uh, you know, if you really want to make money and you want to risk it, you have a, a a higher percentage of making money just putting your money in the stock market than putting your money in the music because music is so unpredictable. You don't know what's going to happen. So if you are in the music game just to make money, it is not the game. Like, you have to be down to to grind and grind and grind, you might not see results for years. It might take a lot of time before you see any results. And then the results could just be numbers on social media. It could be followers. It could be views. It might not really be money at first. Um, you'll get there eventually. So if you really love it, then do it and do it all the way. Please. We need people like that. There's a lot of people who want to do it because they want to be famous, because they know what fame comes with. They want money, and that's it. And it's like, you know, labels. It's just, it's just really. There, I say, labels. It's just really a lot of. It's, it's, it's really labels are really like pimps, man. You know, on the, if I'm being very honest, like, you know, they just want artists to come in who don't really understand business, who don't really understand numbers, who just want to be famous. And like, oh yeah, we can make you famous to do that. They're making all the money. You're just kind of stuck holding the bag and not the bag with money in it. You're just, you know, <laughs> you're just kind of stuck there. So, ah, you know, um, so yeah, I would say try a bunch of stuff, see what works. Um, and then, because some folks too, I don't want to make anyone feel bad. Some folks just never try music, you know. And then maybe it's during their 20s or 30s. And then they're like, oh, let me give it a shot. I have friends who got in the game late. Like, you know, and then like in two years, they were able to make a serious name for themselves. And I was really surprised, but it can't it can, it can happen, you know, if you're good. And especially um, if you're hardworking, you can really you can really get in and do something. Um, a lot of people, it's really funny, like Santiago, I see a lot of people who were in sports or are in sports 
and they, they have an interest in music too, but it's kind of hard to do it the way they want to because their, their seasons might be so intense with their, with their, with their, with their sports activities. But um, a lot of guys who come from sports into music, who have a musical talent, they can, they have a good time. Uh, and, and, and females too, if uh, having that sports background, it gives you that work ethic that you might need to be uh, successful in the game as crazy as this, but uh you know, love of the game first, love of music first. Um, see what you like the most, what you're the best at, and what's most profitable. And then from there, figure out what direction is good for you to go. You're going to probably need more than, than just you. You can do it. Like guys like Russ, shout out to Russ, man. Russ is phenomenal. Are, are, are you familiar with Russ? Mm-mm. Oh, yeah. Uh, R-U-S-S. He's a, he's a rapper, producer. Um and he, man, his game on, on music and everything is so crazy. Um, he wrote a book recently. He's one guy who pretty much did everything by himself, except for the videos. But, you know, he he, he learned, he taught himself how to mix his own vocals. Uh, he taught himself how to record, taught himself how to make beats. Um, so he would just make all his own songs. And then he kept doing that consistently. Um and then eventually people were believing in them and they were like, hey, we're going to shoot your videos for free. Um, and so that this that in itself can help a lot. Um, so I would add to those other tips, being consistent, you know, that's the big, that's the big thing, man. You can be consistent. Like you can be okay and not super high level, but if you're consistent, that will get you a lot further. I know guys who can rap their asses off, who can do a bunch of amazing things, but they're not consistent. And so that's where they fall behind. I know guys who are not that good at rappers, singers, girls too, but they're consistent and they just kind of slowly level up because of that. And then as you get there, it's like a snowball. The more you build up, the bigger it gets, the faster it rolls. So that consistency, consistency is probably above all the most important thing um but it's easier to be consistent if you if you actually love it versus just being consistent because you're looking at it as a business so heck yeah moving on to the tough questions what Mm. is the role of spirituality or religion in your life okay okay uh role of spirituality and religion i say and so I definitely believe in God and I believe in one God and I'm still articulating how that looks for me exactly. But I was raised Christian. And so um, I have also been studying the Quran recently Uh and so I really, actually, I read the Quran like every night before I go to bed. Uh, I try to, I, I suppose, as a, as a, and I see if you're a, a true Muslim, in my opinion, and from what I've seen, too, from like the, the, the research I've done, for a true Muslim, you're supposed to pray five times a day. You're supposed to do it a certain way. Um, I'm still working my way up to that. Uh, I, do t- I do twice a day. And, uh, you know, I, I'm still working my way up to the five. Um, I just kind of was, I was studying how the prayer works in Islam and I was like 
Man, that is a lot of uh and I you know I'm sorry I'm sorry my Muslim brothers and sisters, Asalaamu alaikum. Uh, I I I I looked at how the prayer works, you know. I actually I, I got a prayer rug and um I so I use that every night, but you're supposed to use it every time you pray five times a day. And I just I, I'm not gonna lie to you, Santiago. I'm not gonna lie to you, man. I was I was I was looking at that videos, at the videos of how to do it, and I was like, this look kind of this is a lot of work, man. <laughs> you know, you gotta you're supposed to take your shoes off and lay the carpet out. And um, this is as a whole process. You got to stand and bow. Then you got to get on your knees. You got to say, la, 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 A few times, bow your head all the way to the floor, facing east. You might be familiar with this already. Uh, <laughs> and, um, you know, and then uh, come back up. Look to the left, salam. Look to the right, salam. I don't think you got to look either way first, but you got to look both ways and say salam. Then you got to bow your head, ask for forgiveness for your sins. And then that's it, really. Uh, and the whole key is you got to be clean the whole time you do it. It's supposed to be clean. It's supposed to come to Allah clean. And uh, so that's not always easy, you know. And so, you know, my whole thing is, too, like, I have been in work situations where I got my day job, other day jobs, where we ha- I have a coworker who might be uh, Muslim or coworkers that are Muslim. And I feel like the people who, who have been doing the prayers for years, they find ways they can just, they, they know it's just how to do it just the right way. They can just work it around to they get to their schedule. It's just habitual. It's like nothing. It's like breathing. But then I had a situation where one of my coworkers was uh he was uh he he was newly uh he became Muslim uh, uh very recently up to that point. And so he was like taking and you're supposed to be able to get extra breaks, I guess, legally to do the prayers like midday. But um he uh long story short, I this, they, they thought he was taking too many breaks. And so, you know, I haven't been in like um, leadership positions in, in different things too, in these other roles. I just know how. I, it might sound kind of bad, but I know how um, it can feel for the company when um, we have somebody taking, I guess, prayer breaks and stuff. But then too, it shouldn't be. I, I think that's that's a lot better than say somebody taking a smoke break. You know, so I guess I feel like it's kind of just hitting me right now. But it's like, man, why are prayer breaks like down upon? But then smoke breaks are like, you know, it's just like nothing. You know, people really can just go outside and smoke all the time, all they want, and nobody bats an eye. But as soon as someone's like, oh, you got to take 10 minutes to go do my prayer, and you're like, yeah, customers, or whatever the case is, you know. And so I guess I kind of wonder about that. But anyway, so I kind of can kind of tell you, um, yeah, I'm, I'm a real big believer in God, man. You know, uh, uh, the Abrahamic religions are kind of, what I kind of base my base my faith around, and I would say um, for Muslims, Christians, I think that's where you see a lot of conflict right now. And I would tell those folks, especially, I mean, I'm not trying to knock anybody, but I see a lot of Christians in America who have a lot of things to say about Muslims from everywhere, um, and. There's a lot of people around the world who got a lot of things to say 
about Muslims and different things. They, just, they lump everybody into one category. We don't talk about the Christians who committed a bunch of crimes and stuff. I'm not, and again, not lumping all Christians into one category because it's like with any any religion, any race, any creed, orientation, whatever. You got good people, you got bad people, you know. So you can never lump people in together. But I guess all in all, I would say the Bible and the Quran are so similar. Uh, the principles that they teach are so similar, and what the what the end goal is for humanity and for um, uh, all people, um, you know, beginning of times, end of times, every it's, it's so similar. Mm -hmm. I, I think uh, if everyone kind of took it some time to chill and have conversations like we're having, you know, and just really try to understand each other, find common ground, figure out what they really need, and then what they want, they would see that we're all so similar, you know, and uh, there's not really any reason for us to be fighting uh, one another especially over religions, you know, uh, it's like, I don't know. And then you could talk, there's a whole thing. Cause it's, it's a huge, I think, awakening right now where a lot of, especially like a lot of black people, if we get really deep, man, is it cool if I get really deep on you? That's the whole so, point uh, of the show, man. <laughs> all right, cool, 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 cool. So a lot of black people, man, in America, it's been like a, a huge awakening, I think. Because uh, I would say, uh, what I've seen is that, and what I know, Christianity is really huge um, in America. Obviously, it's like the main religion, right? But then in Black America, it's like people who are raised, uh, who came from, who are basically descendants of slavery, um, are almost all Christians. Um, or the vast majority are Christians. If 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 they were not given any additional knowledge, if they if there was no internet, let's say hypothetically, let's if there was no internet, um, and there was no other influence other than this family bloodline, they would all just be Christians. And there's nothing wrong with that. Um, but it's like that that Christianity. Um, I do, from what I understand. I feel as though it, that came as a result of slavery. Uh, it came from um, slave masters saying, hey, we want you to be Christians, so we're going to beat y'all until you're Christians. You stop, you know, doing, whatever, practicing whatever religion you were doing before. We don't even want you to speak that language if possible. Hence the division of slaves, right, um, and everything, uh, separation. You know, even like my last name, Randall, right, um, that's a slave name. You know, I came from, you know, way, way back. That's a German name. It's a German slash English name. So it came from like Rand Wolf and things like that, right? Uh, and so I, I think there's this whole thing too with that is just the image of, 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 of a Caucasian Jesus where it's like, it kind of messes us up like in a way because I think it's important to, I mean, but whatever color God is, if you know, depending on what you believe, right? Whatever color God is, you should just appreciate what God does, uh, appreciate how the universe is kind of working, and all of the abundance that the universe has for all of us. Um, at the same time, I think as a black person, when you're praying to an entity that does not look like you, um, and then you combine that with all the hegemony that media kind of gives us. 
all of the stereotypes that are out there, it really makes it hard for us to feel self-sufficient and feel as though we can take care of ourselves as people because it's like we're a lot for a lot of folks that they keep looking for help from um, a, a deity that does not look like them. So I feel like in the real world now, they see the people that look like this deity to be God or godly, though they don't never really see so much the pictures of themselves as deities or a deity. They don't really see like so many depictions of black Jesus or brown Jesus, like skin of brass, like they said in the Bible. Uh, they don't see that so much in, in, in mainstream media and statues and the churches and things like that. Like my church I was raised in was a black church, Baptist church. But I think uh, I'm trying to remember exactly where it is. It's not in the main sanctuary, but a, there was like a, a couple pictures of, of Jesus in there, especially like in like the side where the pastor preaches and it's a Caucasian Jesus. And um, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Again, like I, I think every man is created equal, but I just think it kind of can be uh, damaging for, for black folks when it's like we're praying to, again, a deity that that, that does not look like this. You know what I mean? Um, um, I think it can be damaging. It can have ramifications. It's, cause we, it's combined with the whole, I think skin color is just such a big thing um, in, in media. In real life, I really try not to judge nobody by their skin color, but the media really makes it like a big thing. I feel like they're like, hey, you know, we're going to show you these examples of beauty and we want you to have that be your standard. And so I think when you combine that with, with everything else I just talked about, it can really damage a lot of Black people's psyches. Um, and so anyway, because of all of that, I see a lot of Black folks who are like... Um, who, who are really kind of low, not anti-Christian, but like they're like anti-religion and they're more just heavy on spirituality. Um, and for me, I really do appreciate some of the core principles that are in um, religion, like Christianity, Islam. I really appreciate some of the core things they have in them. So I really like having those as guides. Um, I really like having those, but... Uh, but no religion is perfect. And there's stuff in both, I'll just be honest, in the Bible and in the Quran, I've seen stuff that's pretty controversial. So I try to take everything, especially those things with a grain of salt. Um, but, it, you know, it, it can get really deep. Um, it can get really deep. I see a lot of folks who, I think they could benefit from having some kind of spirituality. You know, I, I feel like uh, sometimes you see people where they just look super duper tired. You can just see it in their eyes. I think at a certain point, when you, when you try to just think of everything, you try to like game plan every single thing about every single thing in life, um, you can tire yourself out. I think there's a place where it's like, okay, you got to kind of let go. And let let the and now whether you call it God, universe, whatever, I think there's a is a is a point where you gotta let the universe kind of do its thing and kind of take care of things. But at the same time, you gotta take action. You can't just sit there and think, okay, I'm gonna I need uh I need to lose weight. 
I pray that I lose weight. And then you just don't do anything. It's like, okay, you got to do the prayer. And now you're setting an intention. And now you got to actually eat right and you got to exercise. And then through all that and, and the prayer mixed in, it's like a form of meditation. You can you can accomplish anything. Yeah. You can really accomplish yeah. anything, baby. It takes the action. You know, so that's I know it's got kind of went on the tangent, but that's essentially how religion kind of fits into my life. It's uh, I balance the new and the old. And uh I try to really keep my mind open at the same time. I try to use what works at the same time. I try to be, stay stay aware of um what what has happened and and what can't happen. So yeah. Heck yeah. Well, uh, because I'm keeping an eye on the time and I love, I actually love that you go into tangents because it, it makes my job easier. I don't have to keep asking you questions. So, <laughs> so it, I'll actually just, uh, jump to, uh, the last question, which is a silly question, but, uh, cake or pie. Oh, <laughs> uh, it depends, man. It depends on what flavor, <laughs> you know, uh, is it like, you know, it depends, man. I'll probably pie. Probably pie. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Well, Paris, thank you so much for doing this with me. Where can we find you and all the things that you're involved in? Yes. So, okay. My Instagram is at Paris Life Music. All one word. Paris like France. Life opposite of death and music. Paris Life Music. If you also type that into YouTube, I have a YouTube channel by the same name with spaces, Paris Life Music. Um, and I actually drop regular weekly educational videos on the music game on there. And then we got some music videos coming out soon. Um, and then on my Instagram, I have a link tree. If you click on my link in my bio, it got everything in there. And so I got a um, one of my old students is coming out with some new stuff. I'm kind of helping him with his music career right now. And then um, my man, Aldous Kajumalo, we got some crazy, we got a crazy music video with him that's in that link tree too. And everything is there. So add Paris Life Music on Instagram, or if you prefer YouTube, Paris Life Music, those are the two best places to find me. Heck yeah. Well, again, thank you so much. And then, I mean, we're going to go on to record the second podcast. So stick around for that one. But, uh, Yes. At least to end this one, I'm Santiago Ramones, and you are Paris Life. You can find everything that I do on my website, SantiagoRamones.com. I make music. Bloom is available now, streaming everywhere. Put it on in the background or show it to your friends so you can all enjoy it together. You can also buy it on Bandcamp and get bonus content so you can sit alone in the dark with your headphones on and listen to the album in its entirety while reading and looking at the bonus content. I also make music with PowerCycle, an experimental electronic trio. Our first completely improvised album, Too Many Damn Cables, is streaming everywhere. To support this podcast, leave reviews, comments, tell your friends about it, and buy my music, because by supporting me, you're supporting the podcast. I always end the podcast with my three things. They shape my life philosophy. Those three things are, love never fails, it's going to be okay, I might be wrong. <laughs>